Revelation 17, 11. I just thought I would read an easy passage today. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Who do you give your power and authority to? These will make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. I'd like to speak to you on the subject called, chosen, faithful. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. In August, the preaching and teaching theme was on the faithfulness of God to us. God is faithful. And as you've already heard, if you've been following along, this month in September, I felt directed to talk about our faithfulness to God. What kind of response would you give to a God who has been faithful to you, but to be faithful in return to Him? Revelation 17, 14, the final verse I read today, speaks of faithful people when being found faithful matters the most. In Revelation 17, 14, there's a war that goes on and there's a lot of coalition of forces brought against the power of God. The king overcomes him, the lamb does rather, and he is, he is a king by the way, And those that are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now, the book of Revelation is not like, you know, Ned in the first reader, whatever that is. It's not like learning to read from the very beginning. Revelation is complex, complicated, mysterious, and yet to be revealed. So there are many things in Revelation and its symbolism that speak about future events that will become clarified as they come to pass. The book of Revelation focuses on God's finale of world history. The book of Revelation is really the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Revelation speaks of future events that are now shrouded in mystery. Revelation is revealing at the end of time of everything that has been hidden until that time. The real power of Jesus Christ and His chosen people, the elect, are also hidden in this current day. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians and he told us that we should seek the things that are above and set our affection on things above. He said, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we too shall appear with Him in glory. Now what does this mean, this revelation, mystery, shrouded, that is unrevealed right now, but will be revealed in the last day? The Apostle Paul says what John says, that there are things coming to pass. But in the current culture, people do not really know who Jesus Christ is. People do not really know who the church is. 
They wonder why you would live the way you live and be committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Who is he compared to all the powers of the world? So Paul says that we are dead. Our life is hid with Christ in God. And he has not yet been revealed in all of his power and glory, but Revelation speaks of this, the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ. While no one fully understands the nuances and every detail of the book of Revelation, when John opened this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, blessed is he who reads and who hears the words of this prophecy and keeps the things that are written in it for the time is near. He doesn't say that you have to understand all of it, but you should read it, you should hear it, and you should obey what you hear as instruction and commandment in the book of Revelation. Revelation should captivate our attention. It should evoke a sense of godly fear in every one of us. Now I know some people may say that you should not live in fear of God, but you should fear the wrath of God if you're outside of a saving relationship with Him. Amen? The Bible said in the New Testament that our God is a consuming fire. That's why we should serve Him with reverence and godly fear. In the book of Revelation, there are the judgments of God on the human race. In Revelation 6, there are the six seals of judgment. In Revelation 8 through 9, the six trumpet judgments. In Revelation 16, the seven bowl judgments. In Revelation 17, that we read from today, there is religious Babylon. In Revelation 18, there is capitalistic or commercial Babylon. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19. The announcement of His coming. The advent of Jesus Christ. Not to catch His church away, but to deal with us in this world in judgment. And the battle of Armageddon. That great battle where Jesus Christ settles the score forever. The world systems of evil are brought to their knees. They are defeated. Judged. And eternally punished. We read of it in the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, emerges as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And it is also written in the verse, in reverse, in all caps, in Revelation 19. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 7.14 these make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Revelation 17. My objective today is not to give an exhaustive lesson on Bible prophecy, not to try to define or nailed down who each individual is represented by seven horns and seven heads and Babylon, who this is. I have my ideas. I'll not uh, speculate on the specific identity of those names, especially of Babylon. 
But to use a passage in the Bible, you should understand it in its setting, in its context, and the tone of what is being said. As I've already mentioned, Revelation 17 is a prediction of the fall of religious Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great is called the great harlot, the mother of false religion. John sees a vision. An angel explains it. Revelation 17 refers to this harlot religion, this false religion, the easy religion, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. In the Bible, waters can refer to people groups, people. She, she sits on many waters, this harlot church does. The kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Does this refer to literal sexual sin or religious harlotry? Perhaps both, but certainly religious fornication. She carried John away in the spirit to the wilderness and he saw a woman who typifies this harlot, this world system, Babylon the Great. She's sitting on a scarlet meat, a beast. She has names full of blasphemy. She has seven heads, ten horns. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with all kinds of gold and precious stones and pearls. And in her hand is a cup, a golden cup, full of abominations and the filthiness of her sexual sin, of her fornication, her religious fornication, to be sure. On her forehead is a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. John sees her, and she is drunk with the blood of the saints and drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. So at the hands of this harlot church, Babylon the Great, many have died for the name of Jesus Christ in the name of religion, but false religion. And the angel says to John, when he marvels at what he sees, why are you marveling? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and will go into perdition or destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not yet is, here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads and the seven mountains on which the woman sits. She sits on these mountains and she's over many waters and the kings, the political powers of the earth have been in bed with her politically and perhaps immorally. There are also seven kings, he says. Five had fallen, one is and the other has not yet come and when he comes, he must continue for a short time. There's an eighth beast that comes out of the seven and he will also go to perdition or destruction. We learned in verses 12 and 13 that these ten horns are ten kings that have received no kingdom as of yet and they will receive authority for a short period of time, one hour. 
as the kings with the beast. So they will all be allied together. And they will have one mind, one purpose. They have one agenda. They will yield all of their authority and all of their power to this beast, this false prophet, this antichrist. And the agenda of all of these powers, the coalition of governments, kings, false religion, they have one thing on their mind. You would think that they would have learned by now that you don't mess with the lamb. But the Bible said they will make war. They will initiate a war with the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And the lamb will overcome them. For a simple reason. He is the Lord of all lords. And he is the king of all kings. And they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. When I read about this coalition of world governments and world religion. That is a false system. You see that there is some serious firepower here. It does not look good for the people of God. We are dead in our life and sin with Christ and God. Who in the world are we anyway? We cannot stand up to the political powers of this world. If you look about, look at what is about to go down. This assault that is coming against the kingdom of God. Babylon, the great ruling over people, multitudes, Nations and tongues, according to verse 15. Babylon, the great, is coming after God's kingdom. The seven heads, the ten horns, empowered by the power of the red dragon of Revelation chapter 12. All of these wicked forces in an alliance against the people of God and God himself. They're making war with the Lamb. It is the dragon versus the lamb. If you were a gambler, and I hope you're not, would you put your money on the dragon or would you put your money on the lamb? If I told you that a dragon and a lamb were going to meet in an open field or in the ring and they were going to do battle, and you're going to put your money on the dragon or on the lamb. You're putting your money on the dragon. But you're putting your money on the wrong one. If you're vetting that way or voting that way or planning for the battle to go that way. Now it's fascinating to me that God in his word in this passage. He could have said the lion is going to meet the dragon. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he would show himself to be that strong lion, but he does not. He shows himself here in Revelation 17 as the lamb, that lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. And here's the power behind it, that God at his weakest destroyed Satan at his strongest. When Jesus hung his head and died, but before that said, it is finished. In a single act of his death, he destroyed the power of death and hell. Amen. He has the power over all the forces of evil in the world. Amen. I can tell you who I want to be with. Count me in to be with the lamb. I don't want to be on the side of the dragon in the end. 
It is a single phrase in Revelation 17, 14. I just want to highlight this phrase. And the Lamb will overcome them. It doesn't talk about a protracted battle that will last for weeks and months and years. It does not talk about the forces going back and forth and, and God backing up and then advancing and, and somehow there's this great loss in this battle. It just tells us in a phrase, and the Lamb will overcome them because of who He is. Amen. It reminds me of what Jesus said when He said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. How much does it take to cause Satan to fall from heaven to earth and from earth to the bottomless pit in the end it will be a single angel that will bind him for a thousand years and then cast him to his eternal punishment I'm telling you that he is the lamb but he has all power in heaven and in earth this lamb overcomes the coalesced forces of evil because he is lord of lords and king of kings recently I preached the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel revealed to him depicting world empires, the head of gold, Babylon, right? And then Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the revived Roman Empire. This statue that would represent every world power that would ever come into being. The feet of iron mixed with clay, partly strong and partly weak. Perhaps you remember from that message about this little stone that is cut out of the mountain without hands. This Messiah, Jesus Christ, this Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world, who would come sliding in the back door, not as a conquering king, but as a suffering Savior. And in death, He would destroy him that has the power of death, even the devil. But now, He is coming in a different form. He is not slipping in the back door. He is coming in power and great glory. He is riding on a white horse. Amen? He topples world empires. That stone smites the image in its feet. The statue is destroyed. The Bible said it's like the chaff of the summer threshing floor when the farmers thresh their weed and that the husk, the chaff are blown away until then you cannot even tell that they had ever existed and then the little stone grows into a mountain and fills the entire earth. It is the everlasting kingdom of God. You may not think the score is looking too good right now. But in the end... The lamb wins. You see, God is faithful to his principles established in his word. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his purpose. And in Revelation, we see what was promised from the beginning, that the descendant of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. We see the grand finality of God, finale of God's great plan that began before the foundation of the world was even laid that God knew the end from the beginning. So God defeats the devil and good triumphs over evil. Righteousness reigns over rebellion. The Lord of Lords 
and the king of kings crushes the prince of this world. The true church overwhelms the false church and Babylon the great. The mother of harlots is judged and falls. And the armies of Jesus Christ overcome the armies of the Antichrist. And you and I get to choose which side we're on. We can be on the side of Christ or we can be on the side of Antichrist. But rest assured, there is no middle ground. There are not three sides or four sides. You are either with him or against him. You are either submitted to his lordship or you are an insurrectionist against his lordship. That's why I'm preaching to you today that I want to be one of those people who is called and chosen and faithful. I want to be with him more than anything in the world. I want to be on the side of the Lamb. Hallelujah. But if you intend to be on the winning side, you've got to get off the sinning side. You don't get to choose who you're with then. You have to choose it now. They that are with Him now will be with Him then. And there is no middle ground. Though straddling the fence. Jesus Christ is a polarizing influence. He pulls you to either be with him or against him. To either be sold out or to sell out to the dragon in the kingdom of Satan. They that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. They, they that are with him. Why? Why is there anyone with him? Is it because... He needs backup, support, help. Is it because Jesus in his own power cannot destroy the armies of the dragon? I will tell you no. That he is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He will destroy them with the breath of his mouth, with the brightness of his coming. He doesn't need anybody with him. He just let us join the party of the celebration of the defeat of evil and inherit the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. They that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Let's talk about these three words. The call of God here is not referring to A call to preach or to be a missionary or to fill a particular ministry. It is a call to come into the kingdom of God. Called out of darkness into marvelous light. Called to live for a purpose and live for eternity and not die lost. Many are called, Jesus said, but but few are chosen. So there is something between being called and being chosen and being faithful. They do not just go together automatically that just because you're called, you are chosen, and just because you are chosen, that you are faithful. Called, chosen, faithful. You see, this is a war. And the war that is waged then 
is being waged in the spiritual now. And choosing what side you're on, choosing to respond to the call of God, to be the chosen and to be faithful is life or death, heaven or hell, where you spend eternity. We are not playing a video game where you have many lives. We are certainly not playing church where you patty cake for Jesus and fill in the time. We are not just living a Christian lifestyle as one of many choices. We are not fighting against COVID or domestic terror. We are fighting against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And we are fighting in the spirit that will culminate in a battle of Armageddon that will forever defeat the enemies of Almighty God. Apostle John wrote that the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world back then. So you think, well, let's just get on the side. When, when you have to, you have to get on the side now. John said the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. So while the Antichrist, whether he's alive and, and going about on planet earth right now or not, I do not know. Through the years, people have speculated the number of his name, 666, and, and they've matched that number with many people throughout history. It could be this person or that person. But, but all of this will, will personify in the Antichrist. And one of these days, and whether he's alive or not now, I cannot speak. I don't know. But the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in earth. And we have to decide whether we're with him, Antichrist, or him, Christ. They that are with him, Jesus, are called chosen and faithful. We should wake up to the reality that this revelation will come and Jesus Christ will rule supreme as King of kings and Lord of lords. And right now we need to recognize that if we will die with him, we will be raised with him. If we will deny him, he will deny us. But God is faithful. And he cannot deny himself. He cannot compromise to allow you to be with him then if you're not with him now. Called, chosen, faithful. You see the progression. Called, chosen, faithful. I mentioned that Jesus said, many are called and few are chosen. Two times in Matthew he said this. But in Matthew 22, he gave a parable. Jesus gave one of his many parables. And he told the story of a king who was going to throw a big wedding party, a feast, a celebration for his son. And when the banquet was ready, Jesus said, he sent his servants out to notify those who were invited that it was ready. It's time to come to this great big celebration. But Jesus said, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell him. He gave them a second opportunity that the feast has been prepared. The, we've got the food ready. Everything's ready. Come. And the Bible says, Matthew 22, 5, but the guests he had invited ignored him. They went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. They had other things. It doesn't say they went out to some robbing banks or committing immorality. They just went on about their life that was more important than the invitation to this banquet. But it isn't always 
some deep sin that we commit. It's the priorities of our life. What comes first in our life? Is it him or stuff? Well, anyway, in this story, it's clear that this invitation was given to the Jewish people. And they refused. He came to his own and his own received him not. Those original branches, Romans writes, Paul writes about this in Romans, that those branches were cut off so that we could be grafted in as a Gentile church. They seized the messengers, Jesus said. They killed them, speaking about the prophets and himself. Stephen would preach about this in his great sermon in Acts chapter 7, that they had always destroyed God's messengers. The king was furious. He sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn down their town. Perhaps a reference to, uh, uh, to 70 AD when Titus would destroy Rome. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests that I invited are not worthy of the honor. Now what do you mean they weren't worthy? What made them unworthy? It wasn't because they were Jewish people. They had an invitation. They were welcome to come. They were expected to come. But they deemed themselves unworthy. Paul would refer to the Jewish people that they considered themselves unworthy of eternal life. And so he would turn to the Gentiles. They are unworthy of this. So I want you to go out into the street corners and invite everyone you can so my house will be filled. This banquet hall is now filled with guests. Sounds good so far, right? We got invited because they said no. All of you Gentiles and this Gentile, we got a chance to come. So here they come and they fill the house and the king is looking over the congregation, the attendees of the banquet and he sees a man there that is standing out from everyone else. He is not wearing a wedding garment. Maybe he didn't own a wedding garment. Why is he expected to wear something that perhaps he doesn't have? But when you understand the custom, if you didn't have a wedding garment, you were loaned a wedding garment, and not having one of your own was not an excuse for not wearing one. And this idea of salvation, when you came to Jesus Christ... You and I, we had no righteousness. We had no reason to be there. There was no reason that we could be chosen into the kingdom of God to be one of his elect. But Jesus robed us with his righteousness. He put his righteousness on us. The Bible uses the word imputed. He counted his righteousness as our righteousness. Now this man... He wants to be, he came as he was, but he wanted to stay as he was. He was not willing to embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ to wear a robe of clean salvation. And then Jesus now begins to turn from the parable to the real. He says, I want you to tell this man, go and bind him hand and foot, tie him up and cast him into outer darkness. Oh, you mean this guy's going to be lost? He's going to go to hell? He's going to go to hell because he did not allow Jesus Christ to clothe him in righteousness? He thought he could be in the kingdom as he was? No, he's not chosen. He was called, but he is not chosen because he is not righteous. He doesn't have the robe of righteousness on him. And so he is evicted. He is destroyed. 
because he thought he could just be in the kingdom and not be with him. You see, there's a difference between being in the church and of the church, being around the church. There's a difference between professing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Him really being your Lord. There's a difference between living your way but calling it the Christian way and living under the Lordship, the sovereign Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus said many are called and few are chosen. Some reject the call and some come but refuse to meet the conditions of repentance and water baptism and receiving the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And like this wedding garment, we must put on the righteousness of God. Called, chosen, faithful. You see, you can be faithful for a day, but you certainly cannot be faithful in a day. Faithfulness is the accrual of living for God day after day after day. You've got to do it one day at a time. But faithfulness is not a week on and week off. Faithfulness is not going to church on Sunday and then giving God the week off. Faithfulness is not professing one thing and then living another. Faithfulness is to be in reality what you appear to be, that you are a sold out disciple of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness means that you got in the kingdom and then you stayed in the kingdom. Because one of these days being with him is going to matter. For he will overcome them. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful.